Let's take a Bible and open it together today to 2 Samuel chapter 16. And if you didn't bring a Bible, we got a copy of the Bible you can borrow right on the back of the seat, page 226, page 226 uh, in our copy. Can you guys hear okay in the lobby? Raise your hand. Can you all hear? All right. God bless you. You know, 1230 has a lot less people in it next week. It does. Okay. We love you out there, though. Hey, um... Uh, You know, it's the Yankees and the Braves in the World Series again, right? And so we're going to take a little survey. This is a raise your hand little poll, all right? How many of you are for the Yankees? Raise your hand. Mm Mm-hmm. How many of you are for the Braves? Raise your hand. Yeah. How many of you could not give a rip-roar and snort? Who wins? (laughs) Yeah, okay. Well, you know, I am not a Yankees fan, I just got to tell you. But I really like Yankees coach Don Zimmer. Don Zimmer uh, is 68 years old and played for the old Brooklyn Dodgers when they won the World Series in 1955. He uh, played on the 1962 New York Mets, arguably the worst team ever in baseball history. He played baseball in Cuba before Castro. He played on the Washington Senators in the 60s. And he was the manager of the Boston Red Sox in 1978 when they blew that 14-game lead in the last month of the season and lost the pennant to the Yankees. In fact, when Zimmer goes back to Boston, he's still booed today in Boston. Red Sox fans, get over it. All right. Now, but you know, finally in 1995, Zimmer retired. And yet when Joe Torre took over the Yankees, he coaxed uh, Don Zimmer out of retirement to help him. And I never thought that much about Don Zimmer. I mean, I kind of knew who he was, but I'll tell you, when I saw what he did earlier this year, my respect for this man really grew. In March of 1999, Joe Torre, the manager of the Yankees, had to leave and take a leave of absence because of cancer. And Zimmer was asked to fill in as the interim manager for Joe Torre. Nobody knew whether Torre would be gone three weeks, three months, three years. Nobody knew. And so Zimmer agreed to fill in, but during that time, he refused to use Joe Torrey's office. And during that time, he refused to ride in Joe Torrey's front row seat on the team bus. And during that time, he refused to sit in manager Joe Torrey's seat on the airplane. And during that time, when he met with players, he refused to do so behind Joe Torrey's desk. And when Joe Torrey finally came back this year into the dugout, Zimmer wept as he welcomed this man back to the Yankees. Now, i got to tell you, folks, Don Zimmer showed me something. Because a lesser man would have used the weakness of Joe Torrey, would have used the misfortune of Joe Torrey, would have used the helplessness of this man to try and take over his job, to try to grab the Yankees away from him, to at least puff himself up and for a while feel big and important. That isn't what Don Zimmer did. And I'll tell you, that spoke volumes to me about who this man is. Now, the reason I bring all this up is because in our passage for today, we find King David in much the same kind of situation that we find found Joe Torrey in this year. He's down. He's helpless. He's weak. He's powerless. His son Absalom has deposed him as king, has run him out of Jerusalem. And as David flees into the Judean wilderness, he runs into a guy who is definitely not Don Zimmer. And I want to show this guy to you. Uh, Chapter uh, 16, look at verse 5. It says that King David approached Behorim. Behorim is a little tiny town right outside of Jerusalem. A man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from that town and his name was Shimei. 
Now, David, here he is, barefoot. His clothes are torn. He's got dust all over him. His eyes are all puffy and red from weeping. He goes through this little town and he runs in this fellow named Shimei. Shimei was a distant relative of King Saul. Now, let's stop for a minute and review Saul and David's relationship because it figures in the story here. If you remember, King Saul was rejected as the king by God because of acts of insubordination and gross disobedience towards God that King Saul carried out. And in Saul's place, God told Samuel, prophet Samuel, to anoint David as the next king. Now, folks, instead of Saul owning his stuff, Instead of Saul admitting to himself it was his own fault that he lost the kingship, instead, Saul turned all of this into a conspiracy thing. He blamed David for his troubles. David was out to get him. David was out to take his throne. David was out to unseat him. It's all David's fault. Made it a personal thing. Now, was it really David's fault? Of course not. This wasn't an issue between Saul and David. This was an issue between Saul and God. But Saul didn't have enough integrity and he didn't have enough courage to see it for what it really was. And the result of this distorted fantasy of Saul's is that when God finally did remove Saul from the scene, a lot of ill-informed people in Israel blamed David. They thought this was David's fault. There was a lot of pent-up angst and anger towards David that David had unseated Saul when nothing was indeed uh, true like that. But one of those Israelites who felt like this was this guy named Shimei. Now watch what he does. He comes out and here's what he says, middle of verse 5. He cursed as he came out. And he pelted David and all the king's officials with stones. And verse 7, as he cursed, Shimei said, get out. Get out, you man of blood, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you've reigned. The Lord has now handed the kingdom over to your son. You deserve what you're getting. You've come to ruin because you're a man of bloodshed and you did what you did to Saul. Shimei comes out to meet David, throwing rocks at him, cursing at him, screaming at him, You bum! You carpetbagger! You lowest thing on the food chain, you! You know, you did so wrong to Saul, you're getting what you deserve. No, I don't feel sorry for you. No, I have no pity for you at all. I'm glad to see this happening to you. Now, let's agree. Shimei would never have done that if David had been firmly in power, right? I mean, the only reason he's doing it is that right now David is weak and he's powerless and he's down. And Shimei says, hey, when you're down, David, I'm going to kick you. That's what I'm going to do. I'll get you. Very un-Don Zimmer-like, this man. Well, if you read on, you find in the next couple of verses that David's men, his army, his troops, wanted to go kill this guy. They said, hey, look, we may not be a big army, but we're big enough to go kill him. Let us go get him. And David said, no, 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 we're not doing that. Look what he says, verse 11. He says, my son, who is of my own flesh, is trying to take my life. What does this guy matter? I got my own kid chasing me, trying to kill me, for goodness sake. Leave him alone. Let him curse me. Maybe the Lord's told him to do it. It may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good for the cursing that I'm receiving today. Verse 13, watch this. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside next to them, cursing as he went, throwing stones at David and showering him with dirt. Would you like to have a video of this or what? David's walking along. Here's this guy slightly up above him on the hillside, throwing rocks at him, pushing dirt down on him, yelling and screaming at him. And David and the guys are just walking. Unbelievable. 
say, whatever happened to this guy? Well, turn to chapter 19 and I'll show you. Here in chapter 19, we've got David returning to power. He's defeated his son Absalom. He's coming back to reassume the throne. And on the way back, guess who he meets? Oh, Shimei. But Shimei's singing a different song this time, friends. Watch this. Chapter 19, look down, if you would, at verse 18. And Shimei crossed the Jordan River and fell prostrate before King David, flat on the ground, and said, May, the Lord, may my Lord, King David, may you not hold me guilty. Please do not remember how your servant did wrong on the days that you left Jerusalem. May, your, may the king put it out of his mind, please. For I am your servant, and no, I know I have sinned, and, and today I have come to be the first person to welcome you back. And one of David's generals, Abishai, said, Shouldn't we kill this guy? Don't you remember what he did? Look, I still got the bruise right here on the side of my head where he hit me with a rock. I, we, let's kill this guy. And David says, look with me. David says, no. Verse 22, David says, should anyone be put to death in Israel today? No. Don't I know today I'm king over Israel? I don't need to kill this guy to prove I'm king. So the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king promised him he would not kill him with an oath. You know, I've often wondered if I'd have been David, what I would have done when I met Shimei the next time. I mean, I've never had people come out and throw rocks at me. I've never had people come out and throw dirt down on me. I've had a few people curse at me on the beltway, but it doesn't happen all that often. So, you know, I don't know what it's like to be treated like this, but if I had been treated like this, would I come back and show him the same kind of mercy that David showed him? I'm not sure I would have. What would you have done? I don't know. But David shows this guy what? Mercy. Mercy. Now, that's as far as I want us to go in the passage because we have a very important question to ask. You know what this question is, right? Everybody knows. All right, ready? So, deep breath. <gasps> One, two, three. Did y'all yell out there? Did you? I, in the lobby, did y'all yell? You promise. Because we didn't hear you in here. Okay. All right. You say, Lon, so what? Nobody throws rocks at me. Nobody throws dirt on me. I don't get cursed out very often. This has nothing to do with my life at all. No, wait a minute. This has to do with mercy. David showed mercy. And friends, mercy is a very important word to God. Very important word. Let's define mercy, shall we? What is it? Mercy, you say, well, Lon, it's, um, it's forgiveness. It's uh, graciousness. It's uh, compassion. It's kindness. Well, that's right. Mercy is all those things, but mercy is more. Mercy is undeserved kindness. Mercy is kindness beyond what might be reasonably expected. Mercy means that the person is guilty, that you got them dead to rights, that they deserve everything you're about to give them, but you decide not to give it to them. That's mercy. My wife, Brenda, and I had taken our son Justin down for freshman orientation at JMU and, uh, uh, this summer. And uh, we had a babysitter for my little girl, Jill, and we were hurrying back because we were late. We told her we'd be back at 9 o'clock. It was well after 9 o'clock. We were late. So we're, I'm flying in 66 trying to get back. I'm over in the left lane just kind of boogieing. And all of a sudden, I look up in the rearview mirror and I see these blue lights behind me. Well, I move over so he can go by, you know, so... <laughs> But he didn't go by. He pulled over right behind me. Well, I said, well, that's strange. So I pulled over again. He pulled over again. I pulled over again. He pulled over again. Get on the shoulder. He got on the shoulder. 
So I said to Brenda, I said, Brenda, open the glove compartment and give me the registration card, will you? And she did, had not seen the lights yet. And I, I, she said, why? And I said, just trust me. Just trust me on this. Get the registration card out. So when he came up to the car, I already had my license and my registration card in my hand, up like this, put the window down because the AC was on, just handed them to him. I mean, I knew what this was about. I'd, so I figured I'd save him the trouble. So he takes, it was a state trooper, not even a local guy, state trooper. And he says to me, the famous question, Sir, do you know why I stopped you? I said, yes, sir, I do. I was going too fast. He said, that's right, sir. I was doing 70 and you were pulling away from me. I said, yes, sir, I was doing 71 or 72. Okay. Well, I didn't know how fast I was going. I knew I was doing at least that fast. So I said, yes, sir, you're right. He said, okay, just sit here. So I put the window back up. And it was very quiet in my car. <laughs> Finally, my wife says to me, I told you. <laughs> How many times have I told you about doing that? I told you you were going to get caught. I'm glad you got caught. Maybe that'll cause you to slow down. <laughs> very Don Zimmer-like response, I have to admit. So I said, look, Brenda, don't make more of it than it is. It's just a ticket. You understand? It's a ticket. I'll pay the ticket and life goes on. Don't make more of it than it is. Very quiet in my car. So I didn't even see the guy coming back. Hear the knock on my window. I roll my window down. <clears throat> he hands me back my license, my registration card. And he said, well, sir, your honesty saved you. So I don't understand. He said, well, when I usually stop people and ask them why I stopped them, he said, they tell me they don't know. And when I tell them they were speeding, they deny it. He said, you told me you knew you were speeding. You knew what you were doing. You didn't deny it. He said, so I decided I'm not giving you a ticket. Just slow down. Now, that's mercy. That's mercy. And my wife was mad. She was. I'm serious. She said, I'm so mad. I said, well, Brenda, write the state police a letter. All right. Now, friends, this is mercy, showing people kindness they don't deserve. And as followers of Jesus Christ, what does God tell us in the Bible about mercy? Well, let me show you. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, page 683. Let's turn to Matthew's gospel and let's see what God says. Now, friends, Matthew's gospel right here, this is called the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are simply the formula that Jesus gives us to know how to bring the blessing of God onto our life. That's all the Beatitudes are. So how do you bring the blessing of God on your life? Well, verse 7 says, One of the ways is blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. They shall receive mercy. God calls you and me as followers of Jesus Christ to be people of mercy. You say, now wait a minute, Lon, wait just a second. Time out, time out. What about justice, Lon? What about accountability? I mean, if all we ever did is go around and show people mercy, there'd be no courts, there'd be no judges, there'd be no jails. Jeffrey Dahmer would still be on the loose. I mean, come on now. Well, wait a minute, friends. Let me give you two responses to that objection. Number one, let me remind you, Matthew chapter 5 is not talking about jurisprudence. Jesus here is not talking about the enforcement of godly standards in a society, in an organization, in a church. No, no, no. That's not the subject at all. Of course God is in favor of us enforcing godly standards in society and in organizations. Of course He is. What God is talking about here is personally, our personal response as an individual, when somebody has hurt us or wounded us, how we personally respond to that person. 
And let me say, second of all, that even on that level, when it comes to our personal response, we are not skipping over justice and accountability when we show mercy. Mercy says you are guilty. You did do it. You are accountable. You deserve everything I'm about to give you. But I'm not going to give it to you. Yeah, there's accountability there. Mercy is a choice that you and I make. And when we make that choice, look at the promise of God. Blessed are the merciful. Why? Because we shall receive mercy. And God here is not talking about eternal life mercy. Go to heaven mercy. Have your sins forgiven mercy. The way God hands that kind of mercy out is when people trust Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross for Him has nothing to do with how you and I treat other people. The mercy God is talking about here is everyday mercy. The little everyday bonuses that God does for us that He doesn't have to do for us. Things we don't even think to pray about that God does is a special way of saying that He loves us. A special way of being kind to us. Like when you pull into the mall two days before Christmas and somebody pulls out of a space right in front of you when you pull in. Now that's God. I got to tell you, that's God. And God does those little favors for people, for his followers. But what he's telling us here is that to the degree that we show that kind of everyday mercy to others, to that same degree, God will shower undeserved mercy and kindness on you and me. And you say, Lana, I, okay, good, wonderful, I understand that, but I got one more question. Why should I? I mean, mercy's hard. You know, it's much more fun to get them back, frankly. It's much more fun when they zing you and you got the chance to zing them back. I mean, that's what I feel like doing. This is hard to live this way. Motivate me, Lon. Give me some motivation why I should do this. Well, I'd love to. In fact, better than me giving you motivation, why don't we let Jesus give us motivation? Let's flip back to Matthew 18, a few pages back. And here Jesus tells a story about the very question we're asking. What motivation is there as a follower of Christ to show mercy to people? Look with me at his story. <clears throat> this story, Matthew chapter 18, happens in three scenes. Okay, you ready? Scene 1, 2, and 3. Here we go. Verse 23. Therefore, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. <clears throat> and as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. You know how much 10,000 talents is? In our money today, it's about 5 billion, with a B, dollars. Okay, so this guy comes in to see him. And since he was not able to pay, duh, the master ordered that he and his wife and all of his children be sold into slavery to repay the debt. And the man fell on his knees before the king and he, and he begged him. He said, be patient with me and I will pay back everything. What are the chances, you think, of him to pay back $5 billion? I don't think he had much of a chance, do you? And the king took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Wiped it clean. Said, all right, you're a free man. You don't owe me anything. You're good. End of scene one. Scene two. And then that servant who had been forgiven $5 billion went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. You know how much that is? $7,500. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. Began to choke the guy and said, pay back to me what you owe. And his fellow servant fell on his knees and said to this guy who had just been forgiven $5 billion, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Does, those, does that sound familiar? Isn't that what he's just said to the king a few minutes before? But he refused. 
And instead, he went off and had this man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. End of scene two. Scene three. And some of the other servants who were watching this were greatly distressed and they went back to the king and told him what happened. And the king called this servant in, the one he'd forgiven the $5 billion, and he said to him, You wicked servant, I canceled all of that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And the king threw him in jail till he could pay it all, which was never. Now, let's identify the people in the story. Okay, who is the king that the guy owed five billion dollars to? That's God, obviously. And who is the servant who owed the five billion dollars? Well, raise your hand because it's you. That's right. And me. It's us. We owed God a debt we could never hope to pay. And what did God do when we trusted Jesus Christ? He wiped it out, right? And by the way, may I say that if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, that the Bible teaches that you owe God a debt that you can't possibly repay either. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And no amount of helping old ladies across the street or doing community service or planting flowers in the church flower yard is going to make any difference to the debt that you owe God. You cannot pay it in your own energy, strength and effort. Now, I got some good news for you. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, the good news is God wants to make you a forgiven servant, just like the guy in the story. And all you have to do to become a forgiven servant is to do what the guy in the story did. What he did is, A, he, he forsaked all hope of paying it himself, and then he threw himself on the mercy of God. That's all he did, and that's how he got forgiven. And when we forsake all hope of paying our own debt and throw ourselves on what Jesus did for us on the cross, God wipes our debt clean. Friends, if you're here and you've never done that, I want to tell you, you are looking right into the teeth of the greatest deal ever offered in the universe. It can be yours. Don't, don't be silly. Don't be foolish. Take it while you can. Now, let's go back to the story. <clears throat> Who is the servant that owed the $5 billion guy 7500 bucks? Well, friends, that's everybody but you in the world. Everybody around you who hurts you, who wounds you, who offends you, <clears throat> that's them. And the point of the story is, no matter what any of those people do to you and me, By comparison, it's like $7,500 worth of damage compared to the $5 billion worth of damage we've done to God. If God's forgiven us $5 billion worth of damage, how dare we, as followers of Jesus Christ, how dare we refuse to show mercy to people who owe us so little when we owed God so much and He showed us mercy? The key line in this whole parable is, shouldn't you have shown mercy to your fellow servant the way I showed mercy to you? That's the whole point. And in light of the mega mercy that God has shown us, how dare we refuse to show nano mercy to anybody? That's why Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, showing mercy to others, just as in Jesus Christ God showed mercy to you. Need motivation? Need motivation to show mercy to people as a follower of Christ? I'll tell you where you find it. You find it by looking at the cross. And if you can look at the cross and what God paid to show mercy to you, and you can go out and not show it to somebody else, then I don't understand you. I don't understand you. 
And yet I struggle with this all the time. God will find me, you know, in my emotions, in my mind, just doing this to somebody. Just choking them. Choking them. And God will say to me, Lon, Lon, what? What are you doing? I'm choking him, God. What do you mean, what am I doing? Lon, you can't do that. Is that how I treated you? Is that what I do to you? Well, no. Well, then why do you think you have the right to do it to somebody else? I don't know. Seemed like a good idea at the time. Uh, and God says to me all the time, turn loose of him. Turn loose of him. You got no business choking him like that. Okay, God, I get it. Friends, that's the way it really is. You, you and I have no right to choke anybody in our heart, in our minds, in our emotions. After the way God treats us. I cut a story out of the memoirs of Robert E. Lee. Now, in, in using Robert E. Lee for this story, I want you to understand, it doesn't mean I support the Confederacy, okay? And it does not mean that I'm in favor of slavery. But Robert E. Lee was a wonderful, godly man. He really was. And he wasn't fighting for slavery. This man was fighting for his native state, not slavery. And there's a wonderful story that, was, that is told that was actually published in the newspapers right after the Battle of Gettysburg about a Union soldier who had a run-in with Robert E. Lee. And I, I think it'll sum up everything we're trying to say pretty well. The Union soldier writes and says, and I quote, I was at the Battle of Gettysburg myself. I had been a most bitter anti-South man and I fought and cursed the Confederates desperately. I could see nothing good in any of them. The last day of the fight... I was badly wounded. A bullet struck my left leg and I lay on the ground not far from Cemetery Ridge as General Lee ordered the retreat and he and his officers rode near me. As they came along, I recognized Lee. And even though I was faint from exposure and loss of blood, I raised up my hands in the air and looking at Lee in the face, I screamed as loud as I could, Hooray for the Union! The general heard me stopped his horse, dismounted, and came towards me. I confess that at first I thought he meant to kill me for sure. But as he came up and looked down at me with such a sad expression upon his face, all fear left me. He extended his hand to mine, and taking my hand firmly in his, he looked me right in the eyes and he said, My son, I hope you will soon be well. Then he mounted his horse and rode away. If I live to be a thousand years old, a man writes, I shall never forget the expression on General Lee's face. There he was, defeated, retiring from a field of battle that had cost him and his cause their last hope. And yet he stopped to say words of mercy like those to a wounded soldier of the opposition who had taunted him as he rode by. As soon as the general left me, I cried myself to sleep there on the bloody ground. End of quote. Friends, the point is this. Anybody can be a person of revenge. That doesn't take anything special. Anybody can be a person of retaliation. That doesn't take anything special. But it takes a great man to be a man of mercy. I mean, it takes a great woman to be a woman of mercy. And as followers of Jesus Christ, God wants you and me to be great men. He wants us to be great women. 
He wants us to be men and women of mercy. And God says, if you will be those kind of people, I will bless your life beyond what you could ever imagine. And so my challenge to you here as we close is if you're choking somebody in your heart, in your emotions, I mean, you're just like, I want to challenge you to let them go. Yeah, they deserve everything you want to give them. True. They're guilty. That's right. They hurt you. Yes. But I'm here to challenge you to let them go. Turn them loose. Because that's what God does to you. And if there's anything that needs to be settled, God will take care of that. But you turn them loose. And take the high road. You be a person of mercy. And God will show you mercy back. Let's pray together. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to give you a moment to do business with God. If you need to. If you're here today and you've never embraced Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I want to give you a moment to do that right where you sit. Understanding that you owe God a debt you can never pay. And that yet He's made a way for you to be a forgiven servant by trusting what Jesus did for you on the cross. I want to give you a moment to take advantage of that offer right where you sit. And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you've been choking on people, I want to give you a moment to ask God's help, the power of His Spirit, to turn loose of them, show them mercy, and let them go. If you need to do business with God, why don't you take these quiet moments and do it? Lord Jesus, you know that mercy is hard. When we've been hurt, when we've been wounded, offended, it is so hard when given the opportunity to strike back, not to do it. And yet this is the example you left us. This is the high road that you call us to. This is what it means to be a man or a woman of God. And so, Lord, my prayer is that you would give us the power by your Spirit to live this way. For people here who have been choking on people, just strangling them in their hearts. God, may you give them the power and the motivation today to let loose and to treat these other people the way you treat us. Lord, may the way we live, taking the high road, be a platform that you can use out in our world system to point people to you. May we be faithful to take that high road May we be men and women of mercy. Change our lives because we were here today and learned from you. And I pray this in Jesus' name.